evidence and answers. How many genders are there? Today, many are claiming to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, non-binary, transgender, demisexual, pansexual, and more. How did we get so confused about gender and sexuality? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is a teacher, author, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Recently, Pat held his first ever Zoom apologetics conference entitled, Truth, Finding Clarity in Confusing Times. Guest speakers included Kirby Anderson, Fazal Rana, Randy Manley, and our own Pat Zucharin. Now with part two of Truth About Gender and Sexuality is Pastor Randy Manley. So if we go back and we review that list in in Leviticus, we've got incest, homosexuality, uh, sexuality, adultery, cultic prostitution, premarital sex, bestiality. Those are all these sexual sins that New Testament says, man, run from these things. Don't be involved with these things. Don't let it even be named among you. These are not things that uh, you should be involved in. They're not God's plan. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practicing homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to zero in on those words, those who do wrong at the beginning of the verse. That uh, is better understood as unrighteous. What that means is simply they're not right. And the question is, well, not right with what or who? They're not right with the standard of right, who is God. And you heard Pat talk yesterday when he was talking about truth, the idea that there's this moral code, there's this idea embedded in uh, humanity, that there is a law outside of themselves. And when we don't measure up to that idea, even the simplest part that we know deep in us We are not right. We are unrighteous. In Romans chapter 12, verse 26, it says, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Look at the words shameful desire, shameful things with other men. This is just, again, underscoring this downward progression of people as we go downward, as we go away from God and God's plan. These types of activities are the result. These are the things that show up because we're going against the creator, designer, plan giver, purpose giver. So the Bible's pretty clear. Any kind of sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. That that pretty much covers, again, all of that list. Now, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to identify what some of the real issues, I think, with the the sexual identity and gender uh, issues that we face today. And first of all, it's, it's a view of sex issue. 
What do I mean by that? Well, scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do is to be done to the glory of God. Again, going back to that Genesis passage, sex is not just an act. It is a holy thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is something that reflects God's glory. You know, when you walk outside at night and you see a sky full of incredible stars, it should cause you to go, man, God, you're amazing. When you go to the beach and you watch the surf pounding uh, the sand and you see the power and you, wow, God, you're something else. When you see the beauty of a sunset, it should cause your heart and your mind to go in that direction. Like Fuzz said yesterday, when he looked at those cells and the membrane and saw those mechanisms in the cell, it, it caused him to go, man, there's got to be a God. And we glorify God through those types of things. The sexual experience is supposed to be one of those things where we go, man, God is pretty amazing. He's supposed to get the glory. See, that should be our, our attitude. This passage in 1 Corinthians says a husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. What is that saying? That's saying that the, the sexual experience, what God designed sex to be, is a giving experience. It is an opportunity to fulfill another person's needs. Now, that is not a message that we hear in today's world. Today's world is all about getting my own needs met, fulfilling my own gratification, doing everything I can to, to, to fulfill my needs, right? And that is totally opposite of the view that scripture has on sex. Well, it's not just a view of sex issue, it's an image of God issue. The Bible says that we were created, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in the image of God. Now, I know there's a lot of debate on what exactly that means, but I think there's some basic things that most everyone agrees on. And the first idea behind that image is that we have reason and intellect. We have a reasoning capability and an intellectual capability that other animals don't have. We can think things through. Now, Satan would love nothing better than to destroy our ability to reason, especially with regard to these sexual issues. And let me show you what I mean. We hear thrown out a lot today. Well, you know, I was just born that way. I can't help it. It's not something I chose. I'm just born that way. Well, if that's true, let's reason this out a little bit. Where does that stop? Where are we allowed to use that reasoning that I was just born that way? And where do we have to stop using that reasoning? Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. In Canada, the Canadian newspaper, the National Post, ran a story on transabled individuals. Maybe you haven't heard of transabled individuals, but they are people who identify as disabled even though there's nothing wrong with them. Let me go further and explain what that is. This is a quote from this article. We define transability as the desire or the need for a person to identify as able-bodied by other people to transform his or her body to obtain a physical impairment. That's a quote from um, the Quebec-based academic Alexander Burrell. 
Again, he says the person could want to become deaf, blind, amputee, paraplegic. It's really, really strong desire. What's he saying? He's saying you, you have a person who for all practical appearances is okay physically, but they have a desire to be disabled. And so there are people that are literally getting limbs cut off because they feel like they're supposed to be an amputee. People that are getting their eyes, their, their sight taken because they feel like they should be blind. Folks, that's where that kind of reasoning goes. <laughs> we begin to lose our ability to reason, right? But if we were created in the image of God, God wants us to think reasonably. Uh, another aspect of being created in the image of God is morality, right? We have a conscience that informs us of right and wrong. And again, just referring to, to Pat's uh, session the other day, the idea that, that everybody, there's a basic law code out there. There's a right and wrong. We are created as moral creatures, moral animals. Well, look, when our reasoning starts to get messed up, when the image of God gets marred in our reasoning, then we have things like normal people that should be able to function well on their own wanting to become disabled, but then it also affects our morality. Let me show you what I mean. This is Fallon Fox, a biological male who identifies as a female. Fallon Fox fought in the women's or fights in the women's division of the MMA. Okay, let, let me explain again. Biological male identifies as a female, was accepted to fight in the female division, women's division of the MMA. In her first fight, fought against Tamika Brents, knocked her out in the first round, fracturing her skull and sending her to the hospital. Now, if that happened 20 years ago, folks, Fallon Fox, as a biological male, would go to jail for abusing a woman. But now we watch it in an MMA arena. What's happened? Well, the image of God has been marred in our reasoning, and now it's affecting our morality. Image of God also deals with relationship. We are created to have relationship in a very unique way like no other created animal has. So here's what happens. When the image of God gets marred in our reasoning, it's going to affect our morality and it's eventually gonna affect our relationships. Let me give you another example. This is 20 year old Joseph Guiso the human in the picture. And he married his five-year-old yellow Labrador, Honey. They are legally married in Australia. Now, what's happened? The image of God gets marred in our reasoning. That eventually affects our morality, which is going to have effect on the way that we do relationships. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking. Well, Rand, you just picked some of the most bizarre, out there situations. I wish that were true. But if you do an internet search on any of this stuff, what you're going to find out is I haven't picked bizarre, having to dig to find these stories. They are just all over the place, folks. That's where we're at. It's an image of God issue. Well, Let's move on. It's also a biological reality issue. 
The sexes, the male and, male and female, are different physiologically. This is not something anybody's made up, not some uh, wild-eyed pastor somewhere that's um, preaching this stuff. This is scientific reality that the that male and female are different physiologically. Females are better at discriminating colors. Research says while males excel at tracking fast-moving objects and discerning details from a distance. It's, it's just, again, physiological fact. Male and female brains function differently. In boys, brains, a, a greater part of the cerebral cortex is detected to spatial and mechanical functioning. So boys tend to learn better with movement and pictures rather than just words. We know, again, from a scientific standpoint, uh, females, women, use more words than males do. And this has to do with the fact that their brains function differently. Now, most women know that this is uh, a kind of a no-brainer. Uh, males and females hear differently, okay? Women, the study shows that their brains, they listen with only one side of their brains. I guess I'm reading with only one side of my brain. While women use both sides of their brain. This is again, a physiological reality. Females typically live three to four years longer than men. The skeletal structure of women is different than men. Women have larger stomachs, kidneys, liver, appendix, but smaller lungs. These are, again, all scientifically, medically verifiable differences between men and women physiologically. The greatest physical difference between men and women is that women bear children. I mean, it's, again, such an obvious, beautiful, and as a man, I'm so grateful that women can have children and I don't have to go through that, but that's a huge difference. Listen, the bottom line is this, there are 6,500 genetic differences alone between male and female. These are not things that are made up. This is, these are physiological differences that you cannot get around. The facts are there. Well, I'd also like to propose to you that it's a love issue. Understanding what love means. We talked before uh, earlier about defining our terms and love is one of those terms that gets twisted quite a bit in our society. Uh, the world views love as something like uh, an accidental, uncontrollable, overwhelming feeling that's triggered uh, by attraction for another. In other words, I just can't help myself. I just fell in love with this person. It was uncontrollable. It was overwhelming. There was, there was nothing. It was like this massive wave that came in and there was nothing that I can do about it. In other words, love is simply a feeling that I have no control over. And I have no control over who I love either. But again, if we take that to its extreme, we find ourselves in very dangerous territory. Because here's what we're also told in the world, that love is always good. It's always a good thing. But is it? Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Is it always good to love? Are there not things that we can love that aren't good? Are there not situations where love is in fact a bad thing? How about this? The world tells us that hate's always been never good to hate. Is that true? Is hate always a bad thing? Is there nothing that we should despise 
like maybe the abuse of children. Again, if we stop and allow ourselves to think reasonably, reasonably about these things, we understand that there's some really major fallacies in this. Here's biblical love. Biblical love, it's the willful and active desire for the best of the object loved. In other words, because I love you, I want best for you. What does that mean? Well, if God is best, and God has determined as creator, designer, and purpose giver what best is, I want that for you if I really love you. That means that I may confront you on things that aren't comfortable because what you're doing is not best and I want best for you. That means I may tell you that this isn't God's best. He's got something better for you. And that's driven by my love for you. Well, it's also who do you acknowledge as God issue. From the very beginning, Satan has attempted to draw people away from the true God so that they make gods of their own. Satan put into Adam and Eve's mind this idea that God was holding back from them. In fact, God didn't have best for them, and they could pursue best on their own without God. Really, what Satan was offering Adam and Eve is you can be your own God. You can God your own life. And really, that's where we're at in our society today, that autonomous idea that Pat was sharing, that we are uh, a people that says, hey, I want to be my own God. I want to be a law to myself. I, I want to do what I feel is right and what I feel is good for me. And the issue, the whole issue of altering God's plan for sex is ultimately about who is going to God your life. Do you believe that God is creator, designer, purpose giver? Or do you reject that and decide that you are going to do just fine Godding your own life? Well, that's a basic foundation for where we go with these issues. But then we have to ask ourselves, how, how do we respond toward the unsaved? I mean, if I believe this, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe that God is the creator, designer, and purpose giver, that he has best, he knows, he, since he made it, he knows how it works best, how it functions best. But I'm dealing with people that don't know Christ. I'm dealing with people that don't know God. So how do I deal with this with them? Well, keep in mind that all people bear the image of God, no matter how they identify themselves, whether they're transgender or pansexual or autosexual or whatever sexual identity that they're using or gender identity they're using. Keep in mind that God created every one of us in his image that gives us value and worth and so you've got to look beyond what people are calling themselves and see in them the beauty of the image of god that's there understand that whatever their struggle is it's very real for most people now again a lot of this may be trendy and especially for our younger folks. It may be kind of the thing to do right now to be involved in some of these different sexual identities and fluidity and all that. But for many folks, it's very real, the struggle that they're going through. 
I have dealt personally with a number of folks that have been in the homosexual lifestyle. And to get out of that is very, very difficult. And, and let me say this too, sometimes we're guilty of thinking that there can't be any kind of true affection toward a person of the same sex. And you know, that's, that's just not the case. That's what makes this a very real and difficult struggle many times. So be sympathetic toward the individual that you're talking to and working with. But at the same time, don't let the side issue distract you from the real issue. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what they're identifying as, what they're doing in their sexuality, that's really a side issue. The real issue is they need Jesus. They need a transformation from the inside out. They need a heart change. They need a relationship with the God who is the creator, designer, and purpose giver. So, so many times as, as Christians or people who call themselves Christians, we attack these issues. And by attacking the issues, we attack the people. And we forget that these are people that Jesus died for. And the idea, our primary idea should not be to change their activity, but to have God change their heart. Love them where they're at, but don't compromise God's best. See, sometimes we confuse love with, well, I just need to let them be who they are. Well, no, of course not. You, again, you heard Pat say the other day when he was uh, talking to somebody in one of the cults that, that said he was uh, being very unkind by sharing the truth with them. No, absolutely not. That's the most loving thing you can do. And that's the same with this issue of sexual identity. Man, love them where they're at, but don't compromise God's best. What they're doing is not God's best, and you want to get them to God's best. Well, how about someone who's struggling with one of these issues, and they claim that they know Christ as Savior? Well, again, understand the struggle is very real. This is not something made up. This is not something that they have just brought on themselves necessarily. There could be some very real emotional issues that are triggering some of this, moving them sort towards some of this. There could be even some uh, internal physiological issues going on, but understand that their struggle is very real. Lovingly confront, but firmly rebuke. If this person is a child of God and they claim to know Christ as Savior and they're identifying in some of these different ways, then they've got to be confronted. That's a Matthew 18 situation and they need to be firmly rebuked, but do so in love, uh, not in any kind of a, a pharisaical type of confrontation where you think you've got your act totally together, but they do need to be brought again to God's best. Offer hope and help. Man, we always need to offer hope. Hope is that confident expectation that God will bring about good. And whenever you bring God into the picture, whenever you bring redemption into the picture, there is hope. And then help. Man, it's great to say to somebody, you know what, I'll be praying for you. But, you know, really, sometimes that's an easy way out for us. It's an easy way to say, I'm not really sure what to do for you, so I'm just going to pray and hope things turn out for the best. 
And really, if we want to love them, remember, we want to get them to God's best. And that may mean doing a little work ourselves to help get them to someone who can help them out, to help them sort through some of these very real things. Well, I have enjoyed so much being with you. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to share these things. A lot to try to cram into a very small period of time. We've just really scratched the surface. But let me pray uh, as we close out here tonight. Father, thank you so much that you didn't just make us, didn't just create us, and then leave us to try to figure everything out on our own. You spoke to us. You've given us your word, your manual for living. You've told us how you designed us and how life works best, how relationships work best. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're not a silent God, that you have spoken. And Lord, we know that we live in very confusing times, in a very confusing world. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be seekers of your truth, that we would be people that desire to know your heart and your word on matters before us. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for all that we've had the opportunity to be exposed to and learn. And we'll thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.